Hey, Dan, what's up? Not much. How are, what are, what's going on in your world uh, this week? Well, I think last week I told you I was working on one side project, but I lied. I have two side projects. <laughs> only, only two would be. <laughs> only, yeah. Well, actually, no. My, I just picked up a third one See? today. Yeah. So I have. Um, I'm working on a an app to solve the problem that I suffered for ten years as a homeowners association manager, uh, you know, board member, president, whatever. Um, that's a long range project I'm working on for myself. Um, I am working on an open source ish nonprofit based project that is attempting to um, bring technology to the open captioning world and closed captioning world of live theater, which I've been working that one for a while. I think you know about that, but is now it's kind of moved to a more like open source. My role went from business management to I can just work on some of the things they need on a technology basis. So I'm working on that. I can definitely talk more about that tech. And then today, someone that I someone that provides me a service decide asked me about how they can start to market themselves online. So it's not really a project that I would normally. Um, it's usually kind of smaller scale, but, um, it's something that Megan, my wife who can, um, like she's trying to learn how to be a developer. It's a great project for her to take on. So, so I'm, I'm still kind of in a role of some kind with that. So the next two weeks are time off, right? I don't know. I mean, I like to do what I like to do on my time off is what I also do for clients and work for people. So I guess I'm, it's a good thing. I like it. Otherwise I would really not be happy. That that actually, I think is a topic for, for a future, uh, future discussion. Um, uh, the whole, the whole working side projects, working open source, things like that. I think we need to hit, hit on that at some point in the future. What's been going on? for you this week um so this week same same old same old um we're we're continuing to for for aspire edu we're pushing through our, our um goal of refactoring things um and on the uh on the construction specialty side we're i'm in the middle right now of trying to automate things so taking what what is a very um manual process and, and, and automating a lot of it, which I won't say there's not a lot of in the industry because just like project management solutions, there are a thousand yeah. um, field maintenance solutions, but I, it rarely do either project management or any of those other types of solutions meet exactly what you need. So you have to decide whether you force fit their software and your processes together or whether you you work on stuff on your yep. own. so that's that's the direction i'm heading there. yep makes sense so wanted to talk today i'm going to circle back around to what we're doing for aspire edu and i wanted to talk today about you initially build a prod product it goes great you have customers using the product they love it 
They're continually asking for more features. You decide which ones to get in when. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the features you add are universally loved. So you, you, you don't really want to take time away from adding features. But on the flip side, you have your initial product that you built. Yeah. And you like I like I discussed last episode, you you've learned things. You you understand better how the pieces fit together and how you can display the information better. You've learned a lot of things that really could be useful if you redo yeah. them, but that takes time away from adding the features that your clients want yeah. and the, the work you're going to do may not be all that apparent to your clients. Yeah. So my, my question to you today is how do you go about making that decision? If, if someone were to say to you, Hey, I've got, I've got a great product and, and it's going great, but my, my development team is really starting to say, Hey, we've got a lot of things going on. We're, we're having to code around things that we initially put in there. So our, our coding time takes is longer. How do you decide where that trade-off is and how do you make that trade-off? Well, this is an interesting topic because I feel like there's a company named drip that I listened to their podcast and Derek Reimer is the, one of the lead developers, um, CTO for them. And he's dealing with this right now because they have a good product. It makes a lot of money. They have, I think 200,000 plus customers. Um, but they are hitting scaling issues and they're adding a lot of new features, but they definitely started hitting these roadblocks and then they added a new client recently that just overloaded everything. And I think when you get to that, when you get to that scale, you definitely start to divide and conquer. Like, I don't think you look at your whole team, like what should the whole team be working on? I think if you kind of, you know, people start to talk about microservices as the key to all success, which I don't think is true. But I do think from a management standpoint, you start to look at, okay, how based on the number of people I have working on this application, on this product, where can we start to divide up the duties? And then you're able to say, well, like you're not if you if you have to put everyone on this new thing to get the new feature or the the scaling done then that is not feasible you still have to maintain your current customer base right. so i think you start to think about your team and like maybe they were pairing the your people in your team were pairing all the time and you may have to say we can't do that all the time because we need to start dividing up the maintenance side and the new development side and every go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, do you, so do you have concerns? So I want, I want to take exactly the, the last thing you, you talked about there. Do you have concerns if you've got your, your team pairing, do you have concerns that if you break them up from pairing the, the question can come up, why were, were we getting everything out of them if we could pair, pair them in the first place? So, 
you, you've kind of, have you, have you gone out and said, well, pairing isn't all that important now that we've got something really important. Uh, I, I don't think that's what you're no. saying. I think you're, you're going a different direction. And I just want to flesh I that out. I think it comes down to like pairing is humongous. It's very beneficial when you have one developer of either, either significant experience or significant um, skill that the other people don't have. So, well, I do understand that the question of is pairing valuable is always on the mind of almost every person hiring developers, especially people that don't work with de developers. I do think pairing is extremely beneficial when you have a developer with significant experience or skills that the other person doesn't have. Um, it could also be detrimental where the senior and the junior in that case may like one may be kind of marginalizing both of them, but I do, but you have to make a trade off. You're not going to have all the money and all the time that you need to get stuff done. So if someone were to say, Hey, why is pairing valuable at all? Because now you're telling me we can break these people apart. I'm not saying that it wasn't valuable in the first place. I'm saying you're making a trade-off and that trade-off ah. is to stop pairing as much. Now, what I'm not saying is that you completely disengage both parties from each other. Code review is a hum huge part of quality control, team cohesiveness, um, team building and tech debt reduction. So even if you break away from pairing, I would not advocate that code is committed to the mat, like to your main product without another set of eyes on it at some point. And, sure. and I'm working right now with a developer who I have paired with before, and she is excellent. And there are times when I'm just too busy to like sit there and talk with her one-on-one. -on -one. And that's been that way for a year now almost. But we always submit pull requests or we, or to the people that don't know what that means, she submits her work. And before it goes into our product, it goes to me and says, look at this, review this. Sure. And then I review it and say, that looks good. That's how we like to do things. We also have automated parts that also do those checks, but we always have another set of eyes. So it's not pairing like, you know, truly we're both sitting there. One person is driving coding and the other person is talking, observing, but it is another level of two people working on something at some point. So I, I don't think that I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that you are like the, in the first kit place, you didn't need pairing. I'm just more saying, you have to make a trade-off and there's, I would go as far as separating those folks, but also saying, look, there is a standard of quality control we have to still implement. And that's where I would draw the line on how far you divide them. Okay. So what, what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing you say is if you can't expand the team size to take care of this refactoring, cause that's, that's probably an option yeah. is add to the team. Um, but there aren't always, that's certainly not an option we felt we yeah. had. Um, and, and, and certainly, uh, it's an expensive option. Uh, you, your answer is that 
there are trade-offs you have to make and you have to find where those trade-offs are. I yep. want to rewind to something you said even further back um, that I want to just pull out of you just a little before I go into how we made the decision and how we're handling it. Um, you said that there, there's some movement out there to microservices <laughs> being the answer to everything. Dive into that just a little for, for, for everyone. So, you know, trends happen in, mark, in uh, the tech area just like any other line of work. And um, somebody, like a company gets really big. Groupon was definitely an indicator in Chicago where they started to take this monolithic um, application Mean, monolith being all the code is on one kind of code base, one server, what have you. And the idea is, let's say you have an email portion to your application, you then move that out into a separate app. And your original app then sends all of its email jobs out to that separate one, that service. So because of the success of Groupon as they grew, needing to scale, needing to handle more and more transactions and people and customers, they started the microservice approach where they broke out all the components of their app to be run separately. So the idea is instead of isolating or put, adding more and more to your monolith, you start to build out separate applications and services that allows you to focus on just that um, I guess just that problem or that new growth that you want to do. There is a, there, you know, there's no doubt companies are succeeding moving to microservices, but it is an overused term in the startup space because the other term in our businesses do not pre-optimize. You have no idea as you're growing where your growth is going, where you're going to have bottlenecks where things will get overloaded. And so just like any other product, or if you're in an MVP type of world trying to do your minimal viable product, or if you're just trying to learn what your customers want, you can overbuild this entirely disconnected structure in the completely wrong places because you haven't learned enough. And, and a building in a monolith is extremely easier to maintain at the beginning. So... I think it really, if you talk about microservices as a philosophy um, for building technology products, you really first have to ask, where is this company right now? And what are your future resources? Because once you break into microservices, you are definitely talking about separate people working on different things. It's not the same team focused on multiple apps. It's usually going to start, you're going to add a, re a person per app or something along that line. So there's sure. definitely big trade-offs if you approach development with a microservice approach. Uh, and I, I had you I had you dive into that just a little because that's a little of where we went. Yeah. So um, we, we, I, we, I won't say we built a monolithic um, structure. Uh, each of our products is is split out, and as we added project products, we we did do some very minor API work to to get the the various products talking to yeah. each other. Um, but a lot of it was still uh, database call driven as opposed to API. Mm -hmm. um, and 
that's one of the directions we're going is is to have each product and a couple of what we are, we're not quite calling products they're, they're they're minor minor glue stuff that that works across the thing we're, we're adding api calls to those things we're, we're refactoring some code here and there um and we we did have to make that call to to slow down our our production of features yeah. um, we're still kicking out features we're still killing bugs where where we need to um, but we're, we're slowing down our feature production a yeah. little um, in order to get this uh, refactor done. Um, and it was driven for a couple reasons. First reason was it, it was mm -hmm. time. Um, as we add products, uh, it's harder to uh, pull everything together and, and make it all feel cohesive yeah. until we did some, some work in the background. Um, it was causing some uh, excess time in the development cycle um, if we don't do this refactor so there was some code that's just really it, it's i don't want to say it's bad yeah. code because that's not that's not the right way to describe it it's age yes code. so and 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 over time there are better ways to do that whether there are new way new features available in the languages and platforms we use or whether we're just more knowledgeable about what's going on so we can we can make some changes. Um, those are all things we're 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 tackling yeah. at the moment. We're not doing everything. We're not we're not tearing it all down and rebuilding it from from square yeah. one um, with with all that knowledge. We're going to make some changes. We're going to make some things more available. Um, and it it was a months long discussion of when are we going to do this? And the, I, there was no defining point that pushed it together. Um, there was no major, major crash, which is what you're always yeah, trying to avoid, yeah. right? You're trying to avoid that, that we waited too long phase. Um, there were indicators that we might get to that if we didn't yep. do something. Um, so we we certainly saw uh, the need to go forward and and make these but that's changes. the well and, just to kind of jump in on that that is the role of a cto to you're you're essentially listening to the pulse of the app in the business and you're judging we see problems coming up the like down the road and we need to decide when are we going to deal with them? And the wrong answer is almost always right when they come up or right when they surprise you. It's always tempering that, what's the risk here? And when do we spend the time to mitigate? And like you said, put the brakes on, uh, on certain things that are important. It's all important to some degree. But also say, you know what? It is prudent for us to slow down here and take care of tech debt, refactoring. The nice term is aged code, <laughs> um, which I believe. <laughs> I'm going. To, I'm going to train. Oh yeah. Code, well, believe me, I have a, tons of examples for your new marketing of aged code <laughs> that I don't want to show the world, but I'll do it for the sake of the philosophy. So I think that that's what 
the tech leadership always has to be doing is making those is one not reacting horribly to wow this code is no longer like it should be or wow this code is embarrassing to look at because everybody's embarrassed by their code they did a year ago maybe six months ago maybe today but mm-hmm. but it's your job as as a tech leader to say you know what this is how important it is right now this is what how we should feel about it and then know when to time the work that's going to be done to correct it or leave it, which is definitely an option. Right. And, and I think it, it, it is that, that balancing act, that, that, that mediator yeah. role. Um, I can tell you from the development side, the developers have been saying for, for a long time, hey, I've got this piece of code I need to, I need to refactor. And there, there have been times where it's like, I hear you and I understand the importance of, of what you're asking for. We cannot do that yeah. right now. Work, work through it, work around it. Um, on the other end, there's, there's the side of, hey, we're, we're having some issues here and there. Let's react immediately and fix yeah. it right now. And, and then you have to undergo the analysis of what caused that problem was the cause exactly what's needed to refactor or are there ways to work around that while you properly prepare? So I'm going to, th- you brought up a really good point about your developers and there's a psychology thing going on here that is really vital for managers and leaders to think about. You may not be in the day-to-day coding of this app, but your developers are, and they have a, a smaller scale, smaller, per, like closer perspective to the code and to what they're working on every day. And you're thinking about more abstract things, higher level business, you know, where the product meets business as well. But you have to think about their, the developer happiness to some extent. Like one, on one, on one hand, you have to keep in mind that a developer a good engineer is probably very particular and sensitive to pain points in the code base because they, they're in it. They're, they're wallowing in the mud, so to speak. On the other hand, they don't see the bigger picture all the time of, hey, if I shift these hours to this, it really has a bigger impact on revenues or something. And so you are you talking to your developers about these things, and sometimes all it takes is, I hear you, but if it's not killing you, if it's not something that makes you not want to code at all, um, you know, you're looking for that kind of morale issue versus tempering with, hey, I know it's wrong, and it's not a big deal, so it doesn't need to be a big deal to you. That I've had those discussions with people working with me on projects and it does have a remarkable effect when you say i know you're particular about it but under overall i'm not judging you and your work based on that pain that you see like we can let it go and sometimes just knowing that you aren't judging them on that is a big impact on what they worry about absolutely true and i think that's absolutely a piece of it and uh, one of the ways we worked through it was 
I sat down with, with developers and I said, listen, tell me about the pain point. Tell, tell me what, talk me through what the problem is and talk me through what the solution is. So we'd sit there and, and very, very vivid example. We sat there for a couple hours, drew, drew some diagrams of how things were going. I made it very, um, I won't, difficult's not quite the right word, but I made it very particular when he was drawing the diagrams and, and working through his explanation of, okay, stop right there and tell me right there, what's the problem. And just by digging real deep on that problem, not only did I gain a better understanding, the developer gained yeah. a better understanding. And all of a sudden, something that was something that inhibited them and, and prevented them from, from going forward, um, all of a sudden there's like, well, you know, I could for now do yeah. X. We don't have to do this whole refactor. I could do X. And just having those conversations, um, just, just, Again, something somebody to for a developer talk yeah. things through with. Usually, it's other developers. It, it, when we're talking about refactoring and and the impact to the business, having those conversations really yep. helps as well. Well, yeah, I mean, you can never undersell the value of communication. Um, and I think tech leaders that are experienced and doing well with their teams are constantly talking to people. Versus, I'll just let folks go in a corner because they're introverts or they don't want to interact and do meetings and they make the effort to like kind of pull information out of folks and get opinions and, and temper um, emotional reactions to things. That's what, that's where you right. can win quickly as a tech, you know, like a CTO type of deal. Awesome. So thought, thought that was worth a good yeah. discussion to have here as to how do you have those, how do you make those, decisions to, Hey, we're going to pump the brakes on feature development here and, and do some stuff that's not all yep. that sexy, um, to, to the business end of it. So real, real good to, to talk about all that. Um, I think that that covers what we're cool. going to hit today. Um, did you have any wrap up thoughts? Uh, uh, Randy? You know, I think when you're a smaller company, this is something that is probably farther off to worry about. Um, I'm talking like at the first couple of months of, your, you know, building, but you know, right. you know, a year in two years, definitely this kind of issue comes up. If you're in a big company existing for a while, there's no doubt you have faced this question and problem before. And I've seen people divide up entire teams to handle these issues. But, um, I think it's a matter of where your company is, whether this subject is really at the high point. And, so I just would say people out there listening that are in the very startup phases, this is pre-optimization territory. Um, yep. And, and this is, this is completely <laughs> irrelevant and, and almost yeah. harmful to, to be worrying about that when you're in your MVP phase, when you're in your MVP phase in your first iteration or two phase, this, this kind of thing, it's almost harmful. You, you want to make yeah. some decisions, but once you make the decision, exactly. Um, and, and get it built. And a lot of this can be handled on the back end. You just have to know it's coming and you have to figure out when and where you're going to make exactly. it. Beautiful. Okay. Well, Randy, thank you yeah, for your time. Very good talking to you. Absolutely. And we will talk again. Have soon. a good one.
Yeah.